Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Saturday, September 11th, 2021. You are going to die. I am going to die. What difference does it make if it's tomorrow or in 80 years? These are the words spoken by uh, the character of a young boy in the movie, What About Bob? Uh, the, the son of uh, the psychiatrist that's trying to help Bob. And, uh, you know, he's obsessed with death and it has driven him to a very dark and depressed place for a little boy. He's saying, what, what difference does life make? I, I'm going to die. You're going to die. What else is there to be afraid of? And when we see him take a depressing reality and kind of overreact to it that, that well it is true you, you can't argue with him that we're not we're going to die that that's what's going to happen to all of us uh, but how do we respond to a truth like that that there are depressing realities that we acknowledge in a fallen world we live in a world that is surrounded by death that we live in a world surrounded by injustice. Uh, you know, and even today of all days, we're reminded of what happened 20 years ago and the tragedy of uh, 9-11. And we look out at other things, even things in the headlines more currently, and even 9-11's been on our thoughts probably more as we look at what's going on in Afghanistan and how that's all tied to these last 20 years. And you can look at it and kind of say, what difference does it make? And even we start to realize, you know, the, the amount of power that I have over what's going on in the world is so incredibly small. And I could give my life trying to, you know, make a difference in this world um, and end up being, you know what, it, it didn't make any noticeable difference at all. And so we think about some things that to some extent are true. Uh, and how do we respond to those? And we need to be careful not to overreact to some of the depressing realities of life. And we're going to get a very good lesson in that as we start the book of Ecclesiastes today. Now, Ecclesiastes, the traditional understanding, um, which I think is best uh, for this book, is that um, it was written by King Solomon towards the end of his life. And we know Solomon strays in his life with all of his wives, uh, the love of these women, and then their foreign gods. Um, but it seems that perhaps at the end of his life, th th there's a, a return to God and really an understanding of everything that has happened. And so he speaks from all of this experience and he affirms some of these depressing realities of life. That's what chapter one really says, starting in verse two, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And basically just saying, hey, the world keeps going. We have no power to change it. And so much of life then is just worthless. Or what he says in verse 15, you might feel this about the world around you. What is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. So we look at all of these things and there are just depressing realities of the world around us and things that are broken that you and I cannot fix. And so he seems to vacillate 
in his response to these things between kind of I'm depressed and this is all worthless versus, okay, well, I'm going to try to solve it by being as wise as I can possibly be. And he says, well, at the end, um, that doesn't really solve the problem. Verse 18 of chapter one, for in much wisdom is much vexation and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Uh, and then he talks about, well, I'm just going to go out and get as much pleasure and accomplish, you know, as many good things and build impressive things as I can and just enjoy, you know, all that the world has to offer. And in the end, he says, you know, that doesn't really satisfy. And, and so we, we see kind of almost this vacillation between, all right, I'm going to go out and do this and that's going to fulfill me versus no, nothing can all is worthless. And maybe you feel uh, some of this in your own life where it's, you know, hey, what's the meaning in life? All right, well, I'm going to go get a good job and, you know, make a lot of money. And then you do that and you realize, well, that hasn't really changed my life. And you can get depressed or you can look out at wrong that's going on in the world and be like, all right, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to, I'm going to fix these problems that I see in our society. And so you try really hard to do that and realize, you know, I don't know if I can fix these problems. And so you get to get depressed. What do we do? And that's where I think the first three chapters really kind of help set up somewhat of a perspective that is helpful for us. And we start to see a refrain coming up. Let's look at it at the end of chapter two. And in verse 24, it says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after wind. And so we start to see kind of this balanced and biblical godly thought process that no, I'm not just going to Uh, live in the dumps of depression about how worthless everything is and how meaningless life is and how bad the world is. While on the other hand, I'm not going to, you know, try to find my fulfillment in seeking things for myself or uh, trying to accomplish all these things to change the world or whatever it might be. Uh, What I'm going to do is I'm going to enjoy the life that God has given me uh, really with a perspective that's saying, hey, This is from the hand of God, my work, my toil, what God has put in front of me is from him and I'm going to enjoy it. And really my main objective in life is going to be to please God. So I'm not going to kind of get over my skis about all the things that I want to do. And I'm also not just going to give up on things. I'm just going to today, you know, I'm going to please God and enjoy what he has put in front of me today. And we see that again in chapter three, where he starts to kind of talk about the same thing, starting in verse nine, what gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So there it's saying, hey, what should you do today? Well, you should be joyful and do good. 
That's what you should do today. And don't get caught up in, well, is the good I'm going to do going to make a big difference? No, just be joyful and do good. And even when God has put work in front of you, and I'm sure in some way God has put work in front of all of us today, whether it's at home or at our jobs or whatever it may be, there are things to do that we even enjoy that. And we realize, wait, wait, that is God's gift to man. Your work is God's gift to you. And so we should think through things from that healthy perspective. And then the verse that stood out to me the most in reading chapters one through four of Ecclesiastes today um, was verse 14 of chapter three. It says, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. And then the next verse kind of follows up this, which that, which is already has been that, which is to be has already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. So there we see very strong statements about the sovereignty of God. But then in response to that, no, I shouldn't take a a fatalistic response and just retreat into, well, there's nothing I can do because, you know, God's going to do whatever he's going to do. But that also protects me from, well, I'm going to go out and seek all these things for myself and helps me put in, hey, God's in control. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to enjoy whatever he's put in front of me, even when it's work, and I'm going to seek to please him and fear him, right? That, that's what we're going to see, especially as we get to the end of Ecclesiastes, kind of being the theme. Uh, hey, we're, we're not going to get caught up in all of these other things. I'm going to enjoy what God has put in front of me, and I'm going to seek to please him and fear him. And I hope that gives you perspective this weekend or this next week, um, that, that that would be what you focus on in this life. And in chapter four, it gets kind of out of some of these broader things and into some specific, almost more like more proverb-like statements that you'll find there. But now let's move on to our other passages this morning. And what I want us to see is kind of a theme emerging. What I saw was somewhat of a theme of salvation and how we should respond to it. I think we see pictures of salvation in each of these passages. Let's start with Luke. Uh, chapter 18, verses 31 through 43. And here we see uh, Jesus healing uh, this blind beggar, at least in the second portion of what we're reading. And this man cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, you know, he cries out repeatedly and he comes to Jesus and Jesus heals this man. And he says, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And I think that is a great picture of the gospel. That this man has faith in Christ, and then it is God who opens his eyes. Uh, that's what we see, I think, even in our own salvation. God, he opens our eyes. That's a miracle that we are blind spiritually, and he opens our eyes to see the truth. And also on our end, it, it's faith through which we uh, gain this, this healing in, from, from God. And so there, a, a beautiful picture of our salvation. But then notice the response. At the very end of the chapter, in verse 43, it says, Immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. You know, he responded to what God had done by following Jesus and glorifying God. Now, let's kind of take a similar perspective to Titus chapter 2, because it is going to describe our salvation, but it's also going to describe what should be our response in Titus chapter two. And we're going to look at verses 10 through 15 today. And as we look at these 
verses, really starting in verse 11, it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So there, there's a message of what God has done. He, his grace has appeared. He has brought salvation. But what is the effect that it should have in us? With the blind man, we saw he followed Christ. With us, it is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So there, you know, we see God has saved us But there is a purpose for which he has saved us, and really that's to be zealous for good works, to live differently, to not live like the world anymore, but to live for him. And then we're going to see, again, more of a maybe a negative example here in Psalm 106, as again, it talks about salvation, but then it talks about kind of a bad response to what God has done. Um, It it talks about how God had saved them. Uh, it talks about them in Egypt. We look today at verses 6 through 15. It says, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might know, that they might know, that he might know his mighty power, might make known his, sorry, getting tripped up with my words there, that he might make known his mighty power. And then it says he rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry and talks about how he saved them and they believed his words and they sang his praise. But then in verse 13, it says, but they soon forgot his works and they did not wait for his counsel. It talks about the craving that they had for food. So there we see God saves them. And I love how it says he saved them for his own sake. And I think there's Uh, A way we see that true even in our own salvation, it's for his glory. But here we see them responding by forgetting what God has done. So I want you to take stock of your own salvation today and praise God for how he has opened your eyes, how the grace of God has appeared, how he is the one that has rescued you from your sin. Uh, But then examine, well, how are you going to respond to that? By renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions and pursuing him or by forgetting what he has done and falling into sin? Uh, Let these things encourage you and may you, as you uh, look at all that's going on in your life or the world, take that right response of saying, God, I'm going to enjoy what you have put in front of me today and I'm going to fear you and seek to please you. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.